Hallo, mein Name ist Christiane Würz. Ich bin Coach und Autorin aus Köln und weiß, wie sich etwas aus Krisen machen lässt. Herzlich willkommen. Und ähm, heute heiße ich willkommen jemanden, den ich auf einer Konferenz kennengelernt habe, in der es um Autismus geht. Und zwar habe ich da auch die Marcel Ciampi kennengelernt, die wir ja auch im Podcast hatten. Und einer der Referenten auf dieser Autismuskonferenz oder auf dieser Konferenz, in der es darum ging, wie bringe ich die positiven Aspekte, die mit dieser Diagnose verbunden sind, in die Unternehmen, wie bringe ich das unter einem Diversity-Label in die Unternehmen hinein. Einer der Referenten war auch Tim Goldstein. Tim arbeitet bei Google und ich freue mich sehr, dass er sich Zeit genommen hat, heute äh, hier im Podcast mit mir über das Thema Diversity zu reden. Welcome, Tim. I just uh, introduced you and said that uh, we met at a conference where um, you were talking about um, the, the good traits that uh, people with uh, from the autism spectrum can bring into the workplace uh, from a diversity perspective and... Um, I'm really glad that you're here with me and want to talk with me. Welcome, Tim. Well, thank you very much. I've been really excited to have this chat with you because, uh, you know, this is a global problem. It's not a problem in a country or in, you know, it, it's, it's a problem around the world. And if we don't discuss it around the world and work together around the world, we, we won't be solving it around the world. Tim, tell us a little bit something about, I mean, you, you are in which um, you're working for Google and, you know, in Germany or in Europe or maybe everywhere in the world, everybody says, wow, Google. <laughs> so, uh, so tell us a little bit about Google and what are you doing in this big company? Well, I, I'll say that uh, the first thing is, is I um, never, ever in my life thought I would work for Google. Uh, I actually had no great desire to even work for Google. It wasn't on my list of, you know, oh gosh, if I could work for Google, life would be you know, <laughs> wonderful. Uh, I had, um, I, I did a lot of consulting in my IT career. I worked as an independent consultant. So, uh, you know, we'd be looking for jobs fairly often because I specialized in short-term high-risk jobs because they pay real well. And I was looking for new jobs and there was this one that came up with a company called Looker which makes a business visualization type tool, uh, graphing visualization type thing. And um, it was actually the lowest paying offer I Flicker? got out of... Well, Flickr? Sorry, yeah, Flickr? Just, just like, the uh, the know, photos? Uh, it would be showing like graphs and charts and, mm -hmm. you know, so displaying the data in a way to make it easier to understand and interpret regardless of what industry or, or area you're, you're working in. We use it scientific, it's used in business, it's generic as far as what the data can be. Um, so I, I took this job with Looker, which was actually the lowest paying of all four jobs that I'd been offered at the time. And when I visited them, there was just kind of this vibe about them that I, I enjoyed. And I was there, I don't know, nine months, 10 months. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, Google uh, came in and said they want to buy it. And that's how I became a Googler was uh, through an acquisition. Uh, the reality mm -hmm. is I probably never would have been hired by Google ever because I'm a, uh, not only am I a college dropout, I'm a community college dropout. That's like the lowest level of college you can drop out of. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that normally doesn't uh, get you into Google. Having a uh, dropping out of college is not normally a, a good resume builder to get into Google. So the fact that I'm there is to me just kind of 
amazing. You know, never, never imagined it in my life. On the other hand, now that I am there, the opportunities for somebody who works inside of Google, not just in your career, I mean, there's obviously great career opportunities for sure, but the opportunities to get involved in things to help change the world, to make the world better. I, I don't know, it's just frustrating. You're reading the news about all this stuff about they're not doing this thing and they're not doing that thing. And I don't know, what I find is I can turn almost anywhere to any manager, executive, whatever, and say, I want to do this in autism. And the answer is good, we need to do it. Uh, so I, again, the inside and the outside stories tend to be very, very different. So what, what I'm finding in Google is, I mean, first, obviously, there's a huge amount of brilliant people there. I mean, that's mm -hmm. kind of a, a taken. But not only are they brilliant people, but they're brilliant people who care. They're the kind of people that if you say, hey, I've got this project, and even if it's not something directly related to them, but they see a good cause in it or something, you'll get support, you get help. And it's not just at the same level. Uh, Google has this, I guess you would say, very open culture where, as I was told by, uh, they have career coaching inside Google, so you can pick your own career plan and, and develop it. And being new into Google, I, I sat down with one of the career coaches to understand better how to you know, work in the organization. And um, what this uh, woman told me was, no, no, around Google, it's okay. If you want to email Sundar, that's okay. Whether you get a response or not, who knows? But there's nothing, you're not going to be in trouble because you emailed somebody at a higher level. And a lot of times they actually do respond if it's, you know, if you A, don't write, you know, a tome that's so long that they, you know, I mean, a couple bullet points, you usually get an answer. Long thing, you usually don't get an answer. Um, so that's one thing I find so interesting about Google that I haven't ever seen in another company is the, well, both openness, both between employees and what's allowed to do between, you know, employee efforts. And all the way up to the point of management actually sits down and listens and pays attention, which is not what the news is quite saying, but that's the experience I'm having being a part of the company. As a matter of fact, this will give you a, a little bit of an idea of how much liberty we tend to have. We did last month a uh, autism, uh, well, we called it Tech on the Spectrum for Managers. So it was a, uh, ended up being about a three and a half hour event. It was uh, planned primarily, the primary planning group was three of us autistic individuals. And we recruited, we, we didn't care. You didn't have to have anything to recruit to help us. I mean, we had to, but we had people who were dyslexic, we had ADHD, we even had lots of neurotypicals that were helping us. But we went on and put on a major global event at Google, all by ourselves with no approval from anybody. Now, we got lots of buy-in and help from people, but nobody actually signed off and said, yes, you can do this. So that's kind of, for most companies, you could not pull off a global event uh, that you're going to make the company pay for <laughs> without somebody approving it first. <laughs> mm -hmm. To me, it's very interesting, and it's been so crazy because of that ability to move back and forth and talk to different people, of the amount of things you can get involved with if you want to. You know, I'm, I'm working helping an effective computing team. So in other words, being able to pick up emotion from the computer. And they're still trying to decide what's you know, ethical, what parts are not ethical. But I think, you know, as an autistic individual, what if I could have like a watch kind of thing that when my tone was sounding negative, bad, I wasn't mm -hmm. coming across, mm -hmm. you know, a little red light blinks and warns me that, mm -hmm. you, know, you, you know, warning, 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 you might be, you know, trotting on dangerous Nasty. territory. <laughs> um, 
But I mean, that's actually part of Google research. I, I'm in the Google Cloud division. I mean, it's not even involved with the division I'm in, but the answer is, is I am actually a long-term advisor to that group on autism. And you have those kind of opportunities. So it's, it truly is a very, very unique place. And that what I'm just having so much fun with is that the opportunities that are presented that it comes down to how much do you want to push and how hard do you want to do it? And if you want to do it bad enough, there'll be people that will be there to support you. So that sounds like um, really an atmosphere or a culture that that's a healing culture, let's say. I mean, like we, we're talking about diagnosis and uh, the good sides of a diagnosis because you can you have a certain, you know, direction for for traits that you have or things that are a little bit more extreme than than maybe with another person. But that really sound like um, like a healthy culture and, and people who just deal with you no matter what diagnosis you have, just are curious and interested. Yeah, yes, very much so. And, uh, you know, I personally, I mean, as, as you know, I mean, just Google me and you find out that Tim is autistic. You know, it's not, it's not very well hidden. It's, it's all over the Internet. So mm -hmm. I normally, when I, I meet anybody new at Google, it doesn't matter what level they're at, one of the first things I tell them is I'm autistic, mm -hmm. which that's not, you know, normal. You don't normally go into most companies, go meet your new director and say first thing to them, hey, by the way, I'm autistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it, 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 it could be something like, um, you know, it, it, it could be in the future. I mean, not just with Google, but anyway, but maybe right. you, you can start with Google because it's such a big company with a big influence in the world. But, um, I mean, you could say that maybe in the future, I mean, you say you can say it anyway, but you could say it like Christiane, German um, suffered or had not suffered but had a psychosis or tim u.s american uh autistic like you know something like i'm blonde and you're um i don't know have a certain age or you're born somewhere you know something like more or less a little bit neutral but tells you tells something about you I, I'm, but nothing, I'm completely you know, with no, that. It's, it's like, you know, it's, it's not, what is the, there are good things and bad things to be born in Germany or in the U.S., you know? <laughs> no, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, which is we should be able to normalize and not just autism or not just ADHD. It should be any mental health kind of thing. It, mm -hmm. You know, when we look at the statistics, it's something like, you know, two thirds of all people will have some mental health, you know, challenge somewhere in their lifetime. So why is it that you can't tell anybody at work about things that everybody at work is experiencing? You know, that's kind of ridiculous. And, and it heals, you know? Yeah, I mean, it, maybe it, you, could have a, a, you could have, let's say, something personally bad can happen or something globally bad can happen, like the, the, the virus. And some people have difficulties with dealing with them and you could say that it's, it's a burnout you could say it's a depression whatever but if if you're uh, surrounded with support and not with shame then you have it three days maybe you have it two weeks but you would you don't have to have it all whatever all times all lifetimes and you know or forever or something like that it's just 
a certain time where you experience a certain whatever condition and then you're out of that. No, an example of that actually is my um, prior boss. But as far as job-wise at, uh, at Google, um, I came in again through the acquisition of Looker and the position I was in at that point was a uh, senior consultant in professional services. So working directly with customers, both doing the technology and training them to both business side and technical side of how to, to use the products. And I actually just uh, recently moved, and I'm now in the uh, global training unit as the specialist in the Looker product. Uh, so, um, you know, really, I'm doing a lot of similar things to what I did. It's just that uh, as they're integrating the two companies, the Looker positions are going away, and they're being, you know, integrated into the appropriate departments of of Google. So that's what I, I do now is the, uh, is, you know, global trainer. Um, but it, my former manager, uh, she and I started out with not the best relationship. Mm -hmm. And then it probably got worse from there. <laughs> it started out bad and went, went bad, worse. And um, long term, you know, long story short, uh, and, and we're actually going to be doing a, a podcast or something with uh, differentbrains.org, uh, you know, Hacky Ratman, she and I together, and we did one for Google. And we did manage to turn around the relationship and got to the point that the relationship where she finally got to understand, and, and you know, fortunately, I know a little bit about autism, so I was able to help and teach her, which a lot of people don't have that, you know, they have autism, but they don't have, you know, the expertise in it to actually help somebody understand how to work with them best. Mm -hmm. And... Um, you know, once we finally got to the point that she understood that I had some things I was really, really, really good at, and there were some things that I really wasn't that good at, but I could do. And what it really came down to is, you know, I have challenges with executive function, like a lot of autistic individuals do. And in that particular role, you handled a portfolio of clients, about 10 to 15 clients, and you had to juggle them yourself and, you know, people would cancel and you'd... So you'd be doing a lot of task switching because you might be one hour with one client and then maybe a break and then another hour and a half with a different client. And well, once she finally figured out that that is not what works really good for me, instead of having lots of little clients, uh, they, she started moving me to lesser but bigger clients. And that was much more successful. Uh, not that the other ones worked poorly, but what ended up happening was it would burn me out. You know, By the end of the day, I was just pretty well toast from trying to do all this executive function stuff that just isn't a strong point for me. Whereas when she was able to move me over to the uh, less of the larger customers, so you could actually concentrate on something a little bit longer, it totally reduced my level of stress and such. And as my level of stress came down, my interactions with everybody else got better because I'm not stressed out. I can actually think about, okay, what am I going to say that, you know, I can say it in the right way and those kind of things. But I think like all of us, when you get stressed, you fall back to your default modes and mm -hmm. oftentimes they're not the appropriate modes for a workplace. Mm -hmm. So, Tim, when were you diagnosed yourself with uh, autism and how was your, let's say, not the Google story, but what was your um, autism or diagnosis story? 
and uh, maybe in the beginning you have been very, I don't know, uh, depressed because of that. And maybe after a while you thought, oh, my God, it's not that bad and I will fight for it. No, actually, it? It, uh, it, it's kind of interesting. I mean, first off, I, you know, I'm uh, 61 now. So I went to school and went through the school system, which is, of course, where most children get caught as far as diagnosis. Back when we didn't even know what autism actually really was. At that point, it was really only Connor type um, autism of, you know, nonverbal children. Probably in Germany, you knew about Asperger stuff because it was, you know, in language. But in the English speaking world, it wasn't even translated till 92. So we didn't even know about like that wow. autism could involve kids that speak. So. I had no clue I was autistic uh, because there was no concept of that in school. I mean, was I a troublemaker in school? Did I live in the principal's office? Yes. You know, so did I have all the hallmarks of what you would see now for an autistic child? Yes, I did. But back then, we didn't know what that was. It was simply, yeah, he's bright. He's challenging. Um, you know, we'll figure out how to deal with it. And, and eventually, my mother says the way I got through school was they finally figured out just let me do what I want because otherwise nothing's going to happen anyways. I'm still going to do what I want and they're just going to be frustrated trying to change it. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but uh, mom says that was uh, really essentially what the school system did. So then, you know, went into life uh, doing things uh, like many autistic individuals, multiple careers, you know. Mm -hmm. um, did, you know, get into a career, dive into it as a special interest, get super good at it, uh, you know, go very high up in the career, and then usually get fired somewhere along the way. <laughs> and that was a repeat pattern. Um, I was also done entrepreneur stuff, done my own business a number of times, and, um, you know, varying levels of success, some from, you know, and not so, too, some very, very successful. So what happened now, as far as what got me to the diagnosis, so you can just kind of see, you know, background-wise, um, no clue whatsoever, Obviously, no, I'm different from most people, but no clue what that difference is. Mm -hmm. And I was working at that point uh, doing my independent consulting, mm -hmm. so full-time job as a consultant in the IT, and I had decided I wanted to start a manufacturing company with zero background in manufacturing. Uh, <laughs> so I went out and, uh, you know, bought, um, well, you know, U.S., uh, just under $200,000 worth of equipment. And that I've never ran in my life. You know, these things are the size of cars. <laughs> I've never, I never worked anything like that. And started a business. So I was running that business and working full time. And I, I ran that business for 10 years before I finally let it go. And we did quite well and it grew and all that stuff. And it grew to the point that I was no longer doing things I enjoyed in the business. I was now being a manager and having to, you know, run a business, not do what I liked in a business. Mm -hmm. And Between just the years and the stress and the, you know, dealing with employees and all that stuff, combined with also having a full-time, you know, regular career, uh, I essentially just burned out. Mm -hmm. It wasn't depression per se. I, I have, besides autism, I actually am hypomanic. So my, my tendency when I start to, uh, you know, spin out of control a little bit is to go towards mania, to go towards being manic. But not crazy manic, just... Like type A, push a lot harder than most people would, but still within the realm that you can say, wow, he's a pretty hard charger, but, you know, so are most other people that make it. Um, you know, so you're, you're at the border, but not over the border where people go, there's a problem. <laughs> mm. And on the other hand, my wife knew there was a problem, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know, just through the relationship of, a, you know, 
relationship with autistic individuals are challenging. Uh, you know, it's mm-hmm. probably the best way to put it. And at that point, we'd been married about 30 years. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, just the stress, the whatever, me being, you know, half manic half, most of the time, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I got the, uh, you need to go do something about it, which was a, a good suggestion. <laughs> And I went to the uh, family doctor, so a regular general practitioner, and actually saw the nurse so, uh, so nurse we are practitioner. In which, in which year? How this would, just this the, would have been six years ago. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, six years back. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I go to the uh, nurse practitioner of our regular doctor just because the appointment was much sooner for her versus getting into the actual doctor. And mm-hmm. she put me on some antidepressants. And there was a noticeable change in my perception of the world that seemed to be an improvement. <laughs> mm. And I then started thinking, you know, okay, if, if my nurse practitioner can do that much, what if I went to an actual psychiatrist who specializes in doing this stuff instead of a nurse mm. practitioner who, you know, I mean, they're, they're a generalist. They're very competent across a wide range, but not a specialist in depth in a particular thing. So I, mm-hmm. I went to the uh, psychiatrist. The first thing he worked on actually was getting the hypomania under control. And once the hypomania was under control, which is medications, and I, I do take a number of meds for these things. Once that was under control, it started becoming very, very obvious what uh, was driving everything underneath it is Tim's autistic. Uh, you know, I have Asperger's. But it wasn't really obvious that it was Asperger's because the mania and just basically being mad at the world all the time covered up a lot of the autistic characteristics. Um, I, I almost like to say in that period, I was mad at everything and some things even more. <laughs> um, so it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a good period. I was burned out. I was overstressed. And that, that's how it came about being, which is kind of an unusual story because the more common story is your kid gets diagnosed and along the way, as you hear things, you start going, huh, that sounds like me. Ooh, that sounds like me. Uh, so it is a little odd for somebody in, in, you know, the older age range where you couldn't have gotten diagnosed in school because they didn't know to be diagnosed when there's no child involved is a little, you know, a little out of the ordinary. But maybe we're just at the beginning of really understanding anyway what's going on. And the fact that you had a career and you, you could say, I mean, uh, don't blame me for, I don't know what, being not, uh, not a performer, this is just not working, was helping you and is helping all the others that are coming after you. And maybe uh, we will hear much more about people with slight little tendencies in this and that direction when it's not that much stigmatized, you know, when people know you can be at Google. I mean, like Google treats you like everybody and tries to, is interested what you have to say. And Mm -hmm. so you you could go to the psychiatrist and uh, you could get a diagnosis and that's just something, you know. Exactly. It's no different, truthfully, than, um, than you know, whether if you're LGBTQ+, plus, I mean, you know, that's just who you are. I mean, that's just who I am. It's no, it's no different. Um, unfortunately, in one group, it's become okay in general in the world. We certainly know there's areas in the world where that's not true. But whereas the other one is still a, oh, my God, you shouldn't be saying that to anybody. Don't, don't tell anybody you're autistic. That's, that's like, don't do that. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think we're really much like the LGBTQ plus community 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. There was only a few brave people that stood up, but what it took was those brave people to stand up, to get more to stand up until finally everybody realized 
That's my brother. It's my uncle. It's my coworker. It's my friend's kid. And suddenly, how can you hate somebody when it's all people you know already? And that's what's slowly starting to happen here is more people stand up. People start identifying with them and going, you know, my coworker, yes. that might be my coworker that's <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> Yes, and Tim, like 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 today, everybody can say, okay, I have a little lesbian side, and or I have a little gay side, or I don't know, I'm a little bit, maybe I'm also a little bit autistic. I mean, like, who knows, you know, exactly what is on the umbrella, you know, or under the umbrella, every individual umbrella. You yes, know, that's actually, just, just, I was going to say, that's actually why, that's actually why I like to refer to it all as human traits. It's not a your gay trait. It's not a your autistic trait. As you say, these are all human traits, and you can have aspects of any of them in any you know amount and uh, you know, degree. In one human avatar or whatever. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Tim, you told me um, when we uh, had a little conversation before this podcast that you yourself would say that you might sometimes with this autistic, let's say, side or, or trade or whatever, you might sometimes lose yourself a little bit in tiny little whatever and think about this could happen and this could happen and this could happen and then there could be also a, a problem, uh, whatever. And I mean, this is a really, I mean, to come to perfection, you need definitely in a team, you need somebody who's thinking this way. But my question would be, You said that at Google, you are in a kind of well-being atmosphere. So is it possible to say that? And maybe does that heal your anxiety that things could turn out in a bad way? I would say yes, very much. I mean... It There's still some things at Google that are challenging to the autistic individual. Yeah. For instance, the, the performance ratings, there mm -hmm. can be some challenges, things like that. But as far as the overall atmosphere, I mean, you know, you can always find something that's not as, as you know, nice okay. as you would yeah, like. Well, it's, But it's as a far human as the, in the workplace. Yeah, I mean, as far as the overall atmosphere, no. The overall mm -hmm. atmosphere is very open, very welcoming of whatever, regardless of what your background, who you are, how you identify. Basically, nobody really cares. You're another person. You got yourself into Google. You're bright. What do we got to do together? Let's get the job done, <laughs> uh, which is a really nice environment to work in. And, and uh, I was actually talking to my psychiatrist the other day about that, of how it genuinely feels, I don't know, I guess I would say a sensation or a, a, a state that I've never really experienced of being in a place where you're actually wanted for your uniqueness and desired and, and you know, uh, getting accolades for your uniqueness, not being told all the time, be like everybody else. Mm. Wow. Sounds great. Sounds like a potential model. What do you say, Tim? I, I, you know, we're, there is definitely a, a good piece of the model there. The only part of the, the piece to me that's missing is there's nothing specifically driving towards really autism and mental health that's all lumped under disability. Um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I can understand why, you know, but it comes down to, while there's lots of leeway to make initi you know, initiatives and efforts on a, a personal basis and with teams and groups and all that, it hasn't gotten to the point where autism or any of the neurodistinct you know, type categories mm -hmm. um, are embraced yet 
from the top, like they're embracing the uh, different racial groups, like they're embracing, you know, the LGBTQ mm, plus groups. Um, so other than the fact that, you know, you feel a little left out when you hear the list of, you know, we're doing this for the uh, black plus group or doing this for the LGBTQ plus group. Uh, but what about this group? You know, I mean, I'm, we're struggling too. We have, uh, you know, challenges. You, you fire us, you know, occasionally because we, we step out of line, but you don't even recognize what it is, why you fired us. It's, mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd say overall, the model is really good. The fact that it, all the way from the top, you, you basically never have a meeting with anybody that's much above your manager that, that diversity and inclusion is not made a major point of this is part of what Google is about. So, yeah, I mean, how, how can you not like an environment where the environment of every time you turn around, what you hear is we need to do better at this stuff. We need to improve. We're doing this. Okay. We're doing this. But we still need to do better. <laughs> so you would say like the root of Google is the search engine and you see some colors. So we need the whole rainbow, including mental health. Yeah. Um, and, and really, and I think Google, too. Yeah, it's just and a matter ev- and everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. But here's the problem with it. And I think this is probably everywhere. It's, it's the same problem. Mm. Um, Google's a data driven company. I mean, it makes sense, right? I mean, we, we organize the data of the world. That's what we do. We're, we're a data company and they drive the company on data. The problem is, is if you're dealing with LGBTQ+, that's gotten to the point where people are willing to step up. They can have a general idea of how many there are. So it's large enough that we need to address it because it's a, a you know, significant number. Uh, when you go to, you know, the um, Black Plus, Latina X Plus, the Asian communities, mm-hmm. uh, again, they can identify very easily that there's this many of this and this many of that. The problem is, you know, the, I guess you'll say cultural shame more than anything that's wrapped around autism or not just autism, anything with mental health. Mm-hmm. Most people aren't counted because most people aren't willing to hold up their hand and say, yeah, I have ADHD. Yeah, I have autism. Mm-hmm. So... Mm-hmm. The metrics say, oh, it's only a small group, when the reality is we know it's a big group, but the data isn't there because people, mm. yes. you know, yes, society it's I mean, like, Tim, we know that one, I'm talking about psychosis, and I told you that I had different diagnoses. Right. Uh, bipolar and uh, schizoaffective and I don't know, whatever. So, but if you count people with psychosis, you have 3% of the whole population Right, right, exactly. You know, 3%. And 3%. And if these 3% have parents and one sibling, at least, I mean, if they don't have friends at all, if they have never been at school, if they never have uh, colleagues, whatever, then they still have these people. So you have 12% of the world population affected by psychosis. So you don't know, tell me psychosis is no no. I mean, it's just not happening. This is sometimes I'm talking with the HR people and they tell me that psychosis is, is no problem. They have nothing to do with that. I mean, but in my experience, I have clients who are professors, who are uh, psychiatrists themselves, whatever. Okay, I have no dat- data about that, you know, but I just, I mean, like... Maybe, I don't know exactly, you know, maybe, maybe psychiatrists, I, and I don't know exactly what you should do with that because I understand that on one hand, psychiatrists, and in Germany, I know that psychiatrists say, don't tell 
anything <laughs> to your company. Exactly. Don't do, you don't do that. So, you know, Tim, my thing is, I mean, I was, until it became public, I mean, until I was in a way also fed up, not to say it, I was around 50 and I did something in my life. And nobody could say that I didn't do anything. I was not a CEO or something, okay? But there also might be somewhere in the world a CEO who's just taking pills and pills and pills and pills and pills. And maybe a lot of pills that people don't see and, 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 and uh, realize and recognize what's going on. So I see that more and more people here in Europe who did something in their life, and, you know, I'm, let's say, European middle class, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm not homeless. I have not been homeless until now, you know? Okay, in, in Europe, maybe it might be even, anyway, even a little bit more difficult to get homeless because you have much more these uh, social structures than in the U.S. But, you know, in the U.S., the, the, the advantage is that uh, when it's possible for you to uh, get up again, then you, you might tell that as a good story, you know. I, I know that in the in the Silicon Valley, you you like these things, you know, to be one day uh, from zero to top and stuff like that. But still, mental health is something else. Yeah, you know, there's something interesting as far as the numbers, and you're right. The problem is, is we don't know what real good numbers are because that advice of don't tell anybody about so many of these conditions is so prevalent that people don't tell anybody, so you don't even know. But we had a meeting with, uh, we meeting uh, me and a bunch of people at Google that are involved with um, autism neurodiversity at work. Uh, we had a meeting with um, Hiran from EY. And Hiran um, mm -hmm. was, was super generous and uh, you know had a, a bunch of his team on the call. And they were just going through and explaining to the, uh, the group how their autism, actually they call it as a neurodiversity at work program works. And um, I was just sitting in just because, you know, I like Hiran and uh, it's always fun to join the group. Uh, <laughs> and what Hiran said was they figure, and again, this is, there's no statistics because people, you know, don't divulge and all that. Mm -hmm. But they figure just off of, you know, they've been doing their autism program now for almost six years. Uh, so they've got a fair feeling for kind of knowing and, you know, sensing what... They figure about 20% of their workforce is some type of ADHD, autism, dyslexia. They figure about 20%. So, you know, again, like you say, uh, we, we don't know the numbers, but when you just start with, okay, you got this percentage already for psychosis, you've got virtually 2% for um, autism. ADHD has got to be yes. probably pushing 8 or 10%. I mean, ADHD is much more common. The answer is these numbers are huge, but companies overall don't recognize those people actually work for them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's actually one of the challenges, I'll say, I have mm -hmm. with the autism at work programs a lot of companies are doing. I mean, very good they're making the moves. I'm not chiding them about you know, mm -hmm. what, they're, what they're doing that way. But why is it that if you want to do a program for whether it's autism or you know whatever group you want to do it for, why do you can you only do that for the people you hire versus the fact that you already have a pile of them? Why don't you do it for the ones you already hire, already own? Because it's way cheaper to take care of an employee you have and keep them there than it is to bring yes. a new one in the door. But yes, you know, just change your mind. That's all. You know, 
Right. And not I, make such a big deal. And then we have it anyway. I mean, maybe we have to take this step, you know, this diversity, whatever, and, you know, make a big uh, empowerment and fight and I don't know what thing. But it could be cheaper. I mean, it could be very cheap just to say, let's try to change these mindsets. Let's try to change the culture and, you know, integrate that and don't feel ashamed. And, right. and use this thing from the shadow, which has his dark sides and sad sides, and I don't know what, yes, it has, but use it and bring it into the light. I mean, use it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that, I a, mean, that's a, exactly a, it. There's, there's traits, there's positive traits out of all of these mm -hmm. different, yeah. you know, let's say conditions, for lack of a better term. Mm -hmm. And what happens all too often, though, is we look at the individual and we say, oh, they don't fit into the culture. Mm -hmm. Oh, in other words, you want people that are just going to agree with everything, right? They're going to agree with everybody else. Why do you want more people that will agree with everybody else? That's not innovation. You want the person that's going to stand out, say the weirdest, craziest thing, and not be afraid to put the idea out there. Half the yes, time, maybe, maybe they're crazy, Tim, but half but the time they're not. Tim, <laughs> in, t in times of AI... Aren't we the one who to tell? I mean, this sounds very bold, but I don't mean it that bold. But aren't we the one who should say to mankind, this is what makes you human? Because the other thing, I mean, AI can do all this average stuff anyway, million times better than you can. I cannot compete with that. I mean, this is just... This is stupid, you know? What do you think? No, no, I mean, you're, you're completely right. I mean, where, where AI is super powerful is if you need to do something that's a repeated kind of process. I mean, yeah. you need to predict something over and over again. You know, you're going to predict stocks, you're going to predict weather, you're going to, you know, or you, whatever it is. I mean, AI basically is trained on a set of things to do a specific task or purpose. You know, the, the goal, of course, we know the holy grail is that uh, it can be self-learning like humans are, but that doesn't exist at this point. So if you want any new idea, any innovation, it's got to come from a human because AI doesn't produce innovation. It just does whatever you taught it to do really, really well. So I, I agree. You need those different opinions to get the innovation because the AI is just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. You know, right now the AI, uh, you know, it's, it's checking the pictures and we already know there's biases in it. But guess what? You could run it every time you run it, it's going to be biased every single time until you change it. Um, it doesn't learn by itself that you said, oh, no, no, you're biased. Now, fix it. Um, so, no, I, I think you're, you're completely right. AI is powerful, but a human is kind of another step up in the ability to pull ideas basically out of the air Versus AI, you're really saying, okay, it's really, really good at doing a determined process. Mm -hmm. But if we had to learn and run on determined processes, we wouldn't get much done in life. It would be like, you know, why, why don't we have robots everywhere? Because it's really hard to get them to interface with the world because you've got to make decisions continually that they've never faced before. But, you know, even a five-year-old can make all those decisions and get through just fine. So you're right. The human factor is huge. And it's that alternate perspective from the human factor that enriches the range. You know, again, I, I say, if, if everybody's just agreeing with each other, um, I, I was told in business, I'll put it this way, mm -hmm. if you have a partner 
and you and your partner agree all the time, why do you need them? Right? I mean, you want a partner that's going to challenge you and say, no, what about this? And you can have a, a reasoned discussion between the two of you and come up with the best of, you know. I mean, you shouldn't have that all day long. <laughs> no, but I, I, there, I mean, should be, there should be times of, you know, agreement. Yeah, yeah, I'm not saying you're in an argument all day. I mean, you're compatible, you like each other, yeah, but I, you have... No, you know, I completely understand. I completely you know, understand. Different viewpoints. So you're, you know, when the viewpoints come up, there's a discussion and uh, you're yeah, getting yeah, enrichment yeah. from it. I mean, overall, you like the person, you like going to lunch with them, you like talking about most other topics. It's just these few, uh, you know, we have some differences. Hmm. Okay. So, Tim, we had such a fun talk uh, right now. Um, but we still live in COVID times. What would you say from your personal experience would be something that you can advise people who, for whatever reasons, experience crisis right now? Well, you know, the first thing would be, uh, you, you know, you need to find somebody that you can feel comfortable, you know, expressing, talking about. I mean, even, they don't even have to even have any clue about what you're talking about. Uh, as long as it's somebody you're comfortable with that, Because of the, I think the, really the value is hearing yourself saying it more than hearing somebody else listen to it. But I think that's one of the most important things that a, a lot of people are feeling detached from is their circle of support was always in person in the office. And now that they're working from home, they don't feel that same level of connection and, and comfort that they'd have, you know, having a little water cooler talk with somebody or, or whatever. Mm. <laughs> um, whereas uh, for me and what I've seen with a lot of us autistic individuals, we already have loose attachments. I mean, we only ha usually have one good friend. That's it. We only need one. We don't need 20. That's too hard to maintain 20. One's perfect. Mm. And we don't need to be with them and, and talking with them and talking to them on Zoom. Talking to you on Zoom is just as uh, satisfying to me for human contact and input as if you were sitting right next to me. Okay, and sitting next to me would probably be a little bit more satisfying just because, you know, but, um, you know, because we could be drinking coffee or tea or something together, and, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, overall, as far as the mental type proportion, no, I think that that's really the trick is recognize that just because you're going over Zoom doesn't mean you can't be as connected and intimate with your people who you've always been as you were when you were talking to them in person, uh, which I guess translates to, Get over the fact that you're looking at a camera. The camera doesn't care, and you're just talking to your friend. That's all that is. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay, Tim. So thank you very much. That was really, really interesting, and I hope that, I don't know, one day we will have contact again in whatever uh, project and um, effort to bring the, the subject forward. Um, thank you very much. Well, thank you I for having switch. me, and I'm sure we will definitely, for going forward, have uh, some things we're going to, uh, you know, contact, collaborate, uh, you know, have another uh, podcast, tell the world how uh, you and I made some changes uh, into it. Yes. Uh, those kind of things. <laughs> of course. Ja, das war wirklich ein sehr lustiges und interessantes, nettes, anregendes Gespräch mit Tim Goldstein, für das ich mich ganz herzlich bedanke. Und ähm, ich hoffe, dass ich äh, irgendwie mit ihm noch mal ein bisschen weiter an dem Thema äh, drehen kann in Zukunft. Und ähm, ich hoffe, das war für euch interessant, jetzt auch mal diese, ähm, 
diese Bestärkung durch ein Weltunternehmen äh, mitzubekommen, falls ihr mit irgendwelchen Mental-Health-Geschichten zu kämpfen habt, gerade oder überhaupt. Wir hören uns in zwei Wochen wieder, wenn ich den nächsten interessanten Interviewgast habe. Und bis dahin wünsche ich, dass ihr gut durchkommt. Und äh, ja, macht's gut. Bis dann. Tschüss.